0: You're listening to Street Life, a podcast about street photography with John ST and Mark Davidson.
1: You're listening to Street Life. I'm Mark Davidson, a street photographer from Melbourne, Australia, and with me, as he always is, the man whose crops never fail, my mate, Mr. John ST. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really well, thanks, Mark. How are you? Very well, very
1: well. Well, I was going to ask you, crop, Hmm. yes or no? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I crop
0: in, yeah, of course. Yeah. And now I can crop in even more with my new Fuji X-T5 with its massive megapixel sensor. Oh, it's back from the doctors, right is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, very good to see. <laughs> I got a brand new one. Yeah, they, they replaced it for me because there was a problem with the autofocus. All right. So,
1: yeah. Well, and it rare. wasn't me.
0: Yeah. Are you sure? No. <laughs> 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 they tried to tell him, tell them it was me, but it wasn't. No, so they, they, they're very kind George's camera swapped it over, and uh, yeah, it's going really well. Yeah, so crop in. I think so too.
1: Look, I try not to, but you know. Uh,
0: By
2: the way, I I crop with my feet.
1: (laughs) Do you? (laughs)
0: That's that's great, Martin. It's called zooming with your feet, isn't it?
2: It's called going in and out until it's about right.
1: (laughs) Well, John, we Mm -hmm. don't want to keep our guests waiting today, do we? Mm. So um, I think no surprises. I'm super excited about today's episode. So why don't you go and introduce Martin Parr.
0: Our guest today needs no introduction, but let's give him a quick one anyway. Let's not beat around the bush here. <laughs> Martin Parr is one of the greatest living photographers on the planet. He's worked prolifically since the 1970s and has published over 100 photo books, which is a testament to his work ethic. Martin is a member and a former president of Magnum Photos. In 2014, he founded the Martin Parr Foundation, which aims to champion British photography and also houses the Martin Parr Archive, it gives us immense pleasure to welcome Martin Parr to the Street Life Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Martin.
1: No problem. Martin, it's an absolute honour to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Let's start at the beginning, shall we? You grew up in Surrey. Your parents were keen bird watchers, I believe. So tell us about life growing up there and what uh, influence your parents had on your photography, if any.
2: Uh, Well, I was brought up in Surrey, which is the sort of suburbs of London. Uh, A pretty boring place, to be absolutely honest. And then... uh, in my uh, childhood, I went up and visited my grandfather. who lived in the north of uh, England. And the sense of community that you experienced there was very good. Uh, and I was very impressed by that. And not only that, he was a, a very keen amateur photographer. He was working on something called bromoils which is where you literally bleach out the picture and then re-ink it in on a sort of matte paper. So it, it's almost like an earlier version of Photoshop. Wow. And uh, he got me interested in photography. He lent me a camera went out shooting together. And by about the age of 13 or 14, uh, I, w- I said, I'm going to be a photographer. That's it. I've decided, we- uh, but coming back to my parents, because they're watchers, we used to go on birdwatching holidays, which meant I wasn't able to go to the, the normal sort of seaside like Brighton or, uh, you know, Blackpool, where it's all sort of trashy beaches, you know, very colorful, very gaudy. And that's really why during my 50 year career, I've always been attracted to uh, very colourful, bright seaside resorts.
1: Fantastic. And what, what was oh. the, um, sorry, just uh, touching on the bird watching, What's, what was the gold medal of, of birds? Did, did your father, mother or father ever say, this is the bird I've, I've never found, but I, I want to see this bird when we go out?
2: I, I think they had an obsession with something called the Dartford Warbler, uh, which uh, came to one of the heaths in, in Surrey, and uh, we went out searching for these very elusive birds, and uh, when they finally saw one, they would get very excited. So that was like the, uh, the pinnacle of their bird watching uh, days. So I think uh, you know my father's obsession with bird watching, and I, I took his obsessional genes, uh, and uh, you know I'm sort of collecting people rather than birds uh, to put in my basically in my archive, especially the ones taken in the UK where I've done more work than anywhere else. Uh, and I guess the legacy I'm working towards, because I'm now sort of, uh, you know, I'm in the departure lounge, if you like, uh, part of my career, is to leave this archive of, of images that I've collected about my time on this planet, and in particular, uh, the UK. So
0: Martin, if you started off like bird, taking photos of birds and out with your, uh, your grandfather, that's a big step up to taking photos of people on the street. What led you to, in that direction, in that uh, genre?
2: Uh, well, remember, I wasn't photographing the birds. I was photographing the bird watchers. Oh. So I've still got in my archive <laughs> images <laughs> in black and white because back in the day, mm-hmm. in the late sixties and seventies, if you're a serious photographer, you worked in black and white. And I, I was interested in the bird watchers, not the birds. Mm. Ah, and, okay. And the other thing I must tell you about is that. Uh, My father was also what's called a bird ringer. That's where you catch birds and put little metal rings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this he did at Hersham Sewage Works. Uh, So most of the Saturdays in my uh, childhood, I would be at Hersham Sewage Works. And running beside that was the main uh, line from London to Bournemouth. And so I started as a train spotter. Ah. Uh, And this is back in the day when we actually had steam trains pushing these things along. So it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's weird to spend... Most of your Saturdays in the sewage works, but uh, <laughs> I did have the benefit of uh, train spotting at the same time. So
0: you were surrounded by shit a lot of the time, Martin, is what you're saying.
2: <laughs> and that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so take it on the team. So you, oh,
0: no.
1: your grandfather got you into photography. Tell us about some of the first things that you, you mentioned, the bird watches, but what, tell us some of the, about the first photographs you got during that time when your grandfather was getting you into photography.
2: Um, well, I, I was photographing in the Yorkshire Dales, I photographed uh, <laughs> in a very famous fish and chip shop in Guisley called Harry Ramsons. and that was my first photo essay that I actually did, uh, which I still got a copy of when I was 16 uh, and then I started to put a photo together to you know, make sure that I, <clears throat> I got into a, a photography you know, course here in the UK, so I got accepted at three colleges Well, I had to go to Manchester because I failed my A-levels. So, uh, you know, I wasn't very bright academically or wasn't very motivated academically. Uh, So that's why I went to Manchester Polytechnic. And of course, when I look back at my life, going there has been really an essential part of my whole development. It's there that I met other photographers like Daniel Meadows, Mm. Ryan Griffin. And uh, of course, I met my uh, wife when I was there as well. And um, I got to know New Brighton, which, as you may know, was the first project I did in colour mm. called The Last Resort. And that, if you like, launched my career beyond the UK. So it was, um, if I hadn't gone to Manchester, if, in other words, if I'd have passed two A-levels, I'd have gone to Derby, and God knows what, how, I would have, how my career would have uh, panned out. You may not be speaking to me today if I'd done that.
1: Well, thank God you didn't try harder at school, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> laziness pays but of course the one the one thing that photographers are are extremely lazy because they're always satisfied with their work uh, when they haven't really resolved what's possible so that's why most of the photographers even the street photographers you're addressing aren't very good because they're just lazy they haven't got the you know basically the the determination to to mix it or push it to the next level so i'm very against laziness in fact
0: so touching on that then martin what would you suggest that people just starting out in the genre or photography in general what would be your points that you that they should work on to maybe become better
2: maybe Uh, yeah i think you need to identify something that you feel strongly about Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean that could be working in the street it could be anything and uh, you apply yourself, you look at other photographers, you see what they've done, you learn from their achievements, and you then try and apply this to uh, your subject matter. And and if you get excited and find a new way of, if you like uh, portraying what you see in front of you, you could hit lucky and become an interesting photographer. But most of you won't, that's the thing to remember. Mm. We are surrounded by failure. I mean, most of the pictures I take are failures. You know, So if I get 10 good pictures a year, I'm thinking I'm doing pretty well. And that means all the other pictures, they may have information in which makes them of value in the documentary mode, uh, but uh, they're basically failures.
1: Now, this is really interesting to me, Martin. Um, I've heard you say that photographers um, can be lazy before and it really sort of um, charms with me because, so you're saying to be successful at the thing we do, street photography or photography in general, it has to obsess you. You have to go out constantly and never put down yeah. the camera. Yeah, yeah.
2: And if you're thinking, how can I be a successful photographer? Uh, you know, that means you're going to fail as well,
1: because
2: mm. it's just something that will happen inside you. It will be an intuitive feeling, and then you'll find a way of expressing that and it you'll have some originality in it. Uh, and you, you know, you can't expect this to happen when you're 17, mm. you know, you've got to be at it for a while before you've got those skills to sort of turn your vision into photographs.
1: Well, um, do you remember the first time when you know photography first sort of clicked for you when you thought you looked at your photos and thought, gee whiz, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this?
2: Uh, I never use that language, but the first time I really hit something that got me excited was when I was at college, and uh, <clears throat> one of the people I live with's brother was in a mental hospital. We went to visit him one night, and I was really struck by this hospital and got permission from them to go back and over a three-month period did a whole documentation on Presswich Mental Hospital. Uh, and that's really the first time when I think my photography really took off. And that's because I was obsessed with the subject, I wanted to do it justice. It's very strong visually. I mean, I know photographing in mental hospitals is not very original, because there's a whole genre of, of photographers that have done that, because it, it's easy pickings, if you like, because people look a bit weird. But nonetheless it's the thing that sort of you know i connect with that that gave me the sort of if you like the fuel to move forward and push it further
0: so martin you just said like you know um if someone's starting out they should like look at photo books look at what other photographers are doing who have become successful who were the main influences in your road into street photography and what i guess
2: trying- uh, i mean at college uh, i was introduced to the work by a visiting called bill j to the work of Tony Ray Jones. Uh, and I really, have you heard of him down there?
1: Yes, yeah, I've heard of him, yes.
2: Good, good, and he was a brilliant photographer and he basically went over to America and, and learned, if you like, the new language of photography, which is being which is emerging with people like Frank Windegrand, Freelander, mm. brought that back to the UK and then did this uh, trip around the UK in the late 60s uh, in his camper van. And, and the pictures that uh, he got from that were, were really quite something. Sadly, he died very young at the age of 30 from leukemia wow. uh, and the book that he did uh, was only published posthumously after he died in like 1972. And uh, so I never met him. And I think the other main influence was Winogrand, you know, I just love his pictures mm. Mm. Uh, on the street anywhere. You know, he's really got a sort of powerful vision. And that's the thing we've been talking about. You can tell a Winogrand when you look at it yes. in the same way you build be able to tell a Tony Ray Jones mm. when you look at it. So that's an important part. So I guess those two people uh, I would put down to being my main influence, and they, these were published in a magazine called Creative Camera, uh, which uh, was uh, brilliant. So in the early, the late seventies, early eighties, uh, you know, that's when we saw the pictures, and they would publish the pictures from America, like Robert Frank, like Freeland,er that crew, uh, you know, who really turned things around in the states in the in the nineteen seventies and sixties.
1: Well, Tony Ray Jones and Gary Winnegram were photographing in black and white and, you know, they had an early influence on you. And I know you started out in black and white with the Hebden Bridge project, um, but you're very much known for your colour work. So tell us about that switch. Um, was it an easy transition for you at the time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things that influenced that. First off, uh, we began to see colour photography being taken seriously in America. The likes of Eggleston had his big famous show in 76 at MoMA. Uh, Jill Meyeritz etc and there's a woman called Sally Claire who had done a book called The New Colour and she came to the UK showed these pictures she toured around so I saw that and also I started to collect the postcards of people like John Hind, uh, and they were very brightly coloured uh, and I'd done some work at these weird places we have called Butlin's Holiday Camps mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was doing them in black and white and I looked at them and I thought this is rubbish you know this doesn't catch the atmosphere and the colour and the vibrancy of what's going on so i think those two combined meant that uh, in 82 I, I was living in ireland previously to that i moved back to the uk and the other thing that happened they'd introduced this new camera called a plough uh which is a six by seven camera very easy to use very small um and uh, i bought one of those and started photographing in new brighton which is a seaside resort just down the road uh, and that turned out to be the last resort which uh, you may know, you may have seen, yes, if you like, much. you know, started a career internationally rather than just in the UK.
0: I'm very familiar with Butlins myself, Martin. I <laughs> holidayed there as a child many times up in Ayr in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Very
2: right. Interesting were you flight. conceived at Butlins, do you think? What was that, Martin? Did you get that? I said, were well, you conceived at Butlins?
0: <laughs> no, no, I don't think so, Martin. No. You might be in one of the photos, Okay. John. I hope I'm not a red coat or something like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they don't know what a red coat is. <laughs> I know what they are. No. <laughs> okay, okay. Very good.
1: Are they like volunteers or something, are they? Or?
0: Oh, It's just the people that work there. Uh... No, they're the people
2: that sort of, they're the entertainment officers. Oh, uh, and right. uh, they were the people. They had to be very outgoing. had to be very jolly. They'd be going around making sure everyone was having a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the i And mean, organising the entertainment. Yeah, I had a great time up in Butlin's. I loved it when I used to go. It was best thing since sliced bread.
2: So, Martin, by your old name animation- I'm just going to reveal the, uh, my T-shirt behind there, in case oh, anyone's wondering.
1: Atlanta. Yeah, what, tell us about this T-shirt.
2: Atlanta. It's a picture I took in Atlanta that's turned into a T-shirt. I have a lot of merchandising. People love to use my pictures for anything from tea towels to umbrellas to T-shirts and handbags.
0: Fantastic, right. part of
2: my attempt can, to be a promiscuous photographer.
0: Can people buy that T-shirt on your website, Martin?
2: Uh, no, not that one. But we have got um, no, didn't he? Got, but have a look at the website. Yes, and by the way, everyone, you know, Martin Parr Foundation website, uh, uh, fantastic library of books, many of them signed by the authors. Tonight we got David Hearn, the esteemed photographer uh, from Magnum, it, launching his new book at the age of 89 we'll have signed copies of that on the site really? so help your asses buy some of these books and help keep the foundation going
0: there you go there's a big plug for martin parr foundation well done martin you're a natural
2: Good. Now to get that in.
0: <laughs> so martin touching on magnum because you've brought it up what was the big attraction for you to join magnum and you know why did you want to
2: i think uh, i liked uh, the people in magnum i knew the ones who lived in the uk People like David Hearn. I knew very well. I was doing some teaching with him, <laughs> and I like this idea of it being a cooperative. And of course, uh, what they can do is license pictures, which you know I wasn't really able to do my, on my own. Uh, so I thought this is a place uh, that I could be. It, it could be very good for me in terms of my career. Uh, and then you may know there was a lot of controversy when I tried mm. to apply. Yes, I was showing my new Brighton pictures, and the advance guard of anti was led by Philip Jones Griffiths, who really disliked these pictures. And uh, he tried to persuade people not to vote me in, And eventually I did become a member, just by one vote, I hasten to add. And, uh, you know, I've been a member ever since.
0: Martin, did he ever explain to you why he was so objective towards your images?
2: Uh, well, he didn't speak to me, but he did explain <laughs> to, you know, I guess his magnum colleagues that he thought I was a fascist and I was part of the Thatcher regime. <laughs> Oh. And, uh, you know, these pictures I took in La- in New Brighton, mm. uh, you know, in a, like if they're going to be political, they came from the left because I was trying to show mm. people in the south that, you know, you've got this very shabby backdrop, but still the families went there with their kids and had a day out in New Brighton. And in fact, I've just been back there doing some filming and uh, it's really tidied up now. Uh, so it's, it's almost slightly gentrified. So it hasn't quite got the atmosphere that it had uh, back in the 80s. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm glad to go back and see it, but I could never photograph there again because it sort of lost that magic that I liked so much. And, uh, that was the thing that, you know, if you like motivated me to do the pictures back in the eighties.
1: Well, it's a jolly good thing you did, Martin, because you, you were there to record it. Now that's, um, you know, in print form for all, all of, uh, history now. So it's, uh, you know, you, you catch from that period of time and now it's never going to look like that again.
2: You're absolutely right. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to say, Martin,
0: speaking as a northern lad from uh, South Shields, from a seaside town, I've looked at your collection of images and I don't see any issue with them whatsoever because that's how I remember growing uh-huh. up as a kid. That's how it was. Right. You know? Do you know what I mean? You were just documenting how, how things were up there. So, yes, it was a tough time during that uh-huh. period with Thatcher and stuff. It's the reason why I yeah. moved to Australia with my parents. So, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, are you serious? Absolutely, because my when you sixteen, and my town was right. a shipbuilding and mining town, and it had been decimated by Thatcherism and her uh, politics. Mm. So, my parents didn't see any point in staying in the UK any longer. They didn't see any opportunities there for us, so we came to Australia. It was the best thing we ever did.
2: Wow. you know really so did he get did your did your pet, your dad get a job straight away
0: yeah yeah he had to have a job here before you could migrate so uh, they had to sponsor you so yeah my dad had a job here
2: what was his job
0: he was a printer by trade so uh-huh. in the U- so in the UK he was a bus driver but then when he when he moved to Australia he went back to his trade which was printing so yeah all oh, right.
2: good and at the time did you uh, did you think i don't like this you know leaving all my friends in uh, south shields and going to a place where i don't know a soul i hated it i (laughs) hated it
0: i hated the place really never i'd never left my country before and i hated it um because you know there wasn't
2: how long did it take you before you said this this has turned out pretty well 10 years
0: when really? I first went back and then I realised that South Shields in the Northeast and the UK wasn't anything as I remembered as a 16-year-old. But yeah, mm-hmm. and now I've never looked back. I've never got homesick again. I, I love England, but I don't miss it.
1: John, did you go straight to Adelaide or did you go to Melbourne? Yeah, straight, to, straight Adelaide, to Adelaide, yeah. Why Adelaide? Yeah. We're into England now. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: where my mum's brother was. Ah, so. okay. Yeah. There you go.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, things but you yeah, didn't know my- about John.
0: <laughs> but but just touching that mark i just wanted to say because you've got a lot of flack from um uh the press and a number of other uh outlets saying mm. that you were pro thatcher and that you were painting uh northern people uh in, in a poor light and as speaking as a northern person i don't think you were looking at your work it was just how it was mm-hmm. well it's interesting
2: because uh, we we did a show together with tom wood who was also photographing down in New Brighton. We did a show at the open eye gallery in like 85, 86. And, uh, that's the photography gallery in Liverpool. And, and people came, no one said any problems with the images because they all knew what New Brighton was like. But when these same images were sent down and showed at the serpentine, that's when it all held that loose mm. uh, because basically people in London didn't really believe that people would sit uh, and sunbathe in a place that was full of litter. And the sort of shabbiness of New Brighton uh, with the backdrop, if you like, of, well, that was the backdrop, and then the the families in front of it, you know, having a day out. That's really what I was trying to demonstrate and show, and uh, people in the South didn't believe it. And that's when the criticism of me, you know, of being a fascist, et cetera, et cetera, you know, patronizing the working class, middle class person, blah, blah, blah.
1: And how did you handle that criticism at the time, Martin? Was it it sort of a case of... I
2: I took it on the chin, as they say. You know, I realised that uh, being criticised like this wasn't a bad thing for my, um, you know, my career. Uh, So, yeah, and I guess now, you know, the book's in its seventh edition, it's still for sale and it's still my bestseller.
1: If you're not pissing someone off, you're uh, probably doing something wrong.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't go out of my way to piss people off, but uh, if it happens you know uh, i'm not going you know, to shy away from it
0: martin i've just gone back to magnum you when you've got a, a group of photographers that are so highly acclaimed and uh, respected and there's a certain element of that group that don't value what you're doing did it make you can reconsider about what you were doing at any point
2: not really no because I, I knew what i was doing was the right thing for me mm. uh, and in fact you know philip jones griffiths as you know is now died so mm-hmm. he can no longer criticize me and in fact we're about to acquire a set of uh vietnamese pictures from philip jones from, from one of his daughters uh for the foundation so it's quite ironic mm. that you know i am basically supporting his legacy by buying the prints, uh, which i quite like the idea of really but all the people like uh, you know people like settee and berry uh, he wouldn't have voted for me but you know i get on really well with Ian. you know we have bought some of his mm. prints we've done a print swap and uh, you know, I, I'm basically one of the top earners in Magnum. So, I've, if you like, and I've done the presidency, <laughs> so I've earned my colors, if you like.
1: And famously, Henri Cartier-Bresson didn't, um, couldn't wrap his head around your photos. Did you ever make up and enjoy friendship with him later in life?
2: Uh, we well, indeed. So that's interesting. You know, uh, he walked out of uh, the show I did called Small World. This is in the in the mid '90s, I think. And uh, he then wrote me a a fax that night, that's back in the days of faxes, and said, you know, I don't really know who you are, but you look as if you come from another planet. And uh, I don't really like the picture sort of thing. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. So I wrote back to him and said, you know, I I understand your approach is different, but uh, why shoot the messenger? Mm. And uh, in fact, we've just done a book together and a show together where uh, he made a film in the UK in 1961 for a television company and they asked him to photograph uh, northern uh, working class uh, factories and Blackpool. And uh, we did a show together, literally just now. He's obviously died. Mm-hmm. And uh, Francois Habel, who's the director of the uh, Cartier Bresson Foundation, chose pictures that I'd done also in Blackpool and in factories. And they put these two sets of images together. And it was a very interesting show. And, um, you know, in a sense, uh, and also afterwards, Martin Frank. Cartier Bresson's wife invited me to lunch at uh, Rue de Rivoli, so we made up. We became friends, you know. So after that spat, which in fact I very much enjoyed, and uh, you know, is sort of stuff of legends, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, we made up and, and got on much better.
1: Fantastic,
0: but that things like that just happen, don't they? There's always differences of opinion. Doesn't mean anyone's right or wrong, does it? It's just. Difference of opinion. You don't have no, to. No, no, I'm right, right and they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's right, Martin. That's I mean, so don't cool. forget that.
2: You know, I'm I'm the one that's right. Yeah. Well, no, of course. And we're not going to talk about the British working. and the French
0: again, are we, Martin? going to war constantly. with one another <laughs> over the. We won't. We won't no. touch that for a topic for another conversation. Okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so Martin, by your own admission, your images are a quirky, colorful, cheap, and uh, these are your words. Cheap, out, cheap. I'll d- cheap. Cheap, no, no, the
2: prince very cheap and nasty mark. is what you said, Martin.
0: You said this in an interview, cheap and <laughs> nasty, I, I
2: quote. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, I must watch my Marys, honestly. Engarish. <And> gar-
0: <laughs> and, and what's, the, what's the attraction in documenting these moments, Martin?
2: Well, it's what I see in front of me. It's, it's how I feel about the country. Uh, you know, I have a sort of love-hate relationship with the UK here. mm uh, many things I like, like Radio Four or going to a country fake. Mm. Um, but there are many things I dislike. You know, especially with the Brexit vote. You know, that really pissed me off. Uh, and so part of my idea of photographing here is it, it's partly therapeutic. You know, I think of it as being a, a way of expressing that inherent contradiction that I feel about uh, you know about the UK in photography. So that's one of the aims that I have. And it works quite well for me. I, and you know, like the Brexit vote gave me an extra kick up the bum. Likewise, you know, in the eighties, we all hated Thatcher. Yeah, you because know, you know, most photographers, most street photographers, come from the left. You don't get, do you get right-wing street photographers? There's a question for you.
1: Trying to think, uh, are there any right-wing street photographers in Australia? Uh...
0: Well, I'm left. I'm definitely, <laughs> le- I'm definitely a lefty. Always have been. Well, I couldn't be yeah. anything else. Yeah, so i a lefty.
2: We like people. Remember. <laughs> yeah i think you've got to like people to be a street photographer really true yeah so um you know that's uh, that's an important part of the motivation you know during the 80s it, you know it's anti-thatcher and during you know, the north the, the sort of 20s whatever you call this decade it's uh anti-brexit you know i, I hardly know a single person that voted for brexit mm. yeah all left is uh, <laughs> voted to remain in
1: well, is the tide starting to turn again Martin I've sort of I keep tab- I used to live in England for a little while and I'm keeping tabs on on what's happening over there and is there a chance that you know Britain's in the mood to rejoin the EU at this stage
2: it can't happen yet it is something I think will happen uh, you know when I'm dead actually I think in 20 30 years time mm. uh, because the labor party are a bit sort of torn with this because Jeremy Corbyn actually wasn't a very committed remainer and uh, Keir Starmer, you know, the now leader, he was very much a Remainer, but he had to basically keep mum. He couldn't really say too much because a lot of the Labour voters, the traditional working class ones, would be very pro-Brexit.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: But it's a very complicated uh, political situation. We don't want to go into details of that, but uh, enough to say that it's complicated.
0: <laughs> it is. Oh, it's, it's not an easy topic. I. I yeah I understand. I'm not from the UK, but I've spoken to a lot of my friends and family about brexit and um very interesting different sides of the story depending on where you sit so um but anyway that's an, that's another topic, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> that's another
1: topic mm-hmm. well, um yeah, we'll touch you on that in a sense. So you're known for you know photographing Britain as a whole and its leisure pursuits. Is there an activity or subject you haven't photographed that you wish you had of over the journey?
2: Uh, there's lots of things I, I wish I'd photographed. I mean I wish I'd done more pictures on the minor strike I hardly did mm-hmm. any uh, we're doing a show of the minor strike because it's 40 years since it was on next uh, year mm-hmm. and uh, I can't be one of the people supplying images because I didn't really photograph it so mm-hmm. looking back now I'm really pissed off with myself for missing that opportunity for example mm-hmm. so yeah there, there are many things I don't I haven't photographed you know you can't photograph everything no but I have done things that i think are you know i mean i like leisure pursuits they come in all shapes and sizes uh, and you know i'm always going to sort of agricultural shows i can't get enough of things like that where there's lots of people stuff happening and um you know it's all good
0: so martin you like to capture the nostalgic type side of britain you know how do you feel about the people who making- not
2: just that i mean no but, I, but remember but, i did pictures but, in the 80s of people yeah. in supermarkets and back in the day uh you know no one photographed supermarkets it wasn't regarded as a serious subject Mm. so i photographed people filling their cars up with petrol Uh, and uh you know you think what a dull subject but when you look back now uh you know to these pictures taken 30 40 years ago they look pretty interesting the pumps have changed Mm -hmm. cars have changed fashions have changed Mm -hmm. so i'm a great believer in the value of, of photographing nothing much at all for its documentary value and to think of it more as something that will be appreciated in years to come rather than immediately so i wouldn't there is a bit of nostalgia in me you know all photographers are seduced by nostalgia Mm. you know if you've got a factory or a shop or a cafe that's about to close down that's when you see photographers coming in rightly so you know, documenting it before it disappears but at the same time i'm often trying to think of things that are very valid as of now and may well change you know so uh, you know I, I when i when i knew that uh, video was basically doomed uh you know i went to blockbuster video this is a chain of shops where they actually hired <laughs> out you know, tapes vhs yeah. tapes yeah. for people to watch films we knew yeah. that that wouldn't be running in five years time but uh, that's not really in a, in a sense is nostalgic but in the sense mm-hmm. it's also the obvious thing to photograph
0: but it's interesting that you say that martin because there's a There's a constant argument here about people being on their mobile phones all the time when we're out taking photos Mm -hmm. but it's one of those things isn't it we don't know what's going to come around the corner
2: yeah i mean the selfie stick has been and gone (laughs) i mean that's quite interesting i've done a book called death by selfie uh, and i for that book it's the same size as an iphone and i don't know if you've seen it uh, and i've got people on selfie sticks but now you don't see them at all they no. basically just is it down under
1: no no they're gone selfie
2: stick rest Disimpear- in peace Disappeared. yes rest <laughs> in peace. Are still dying, but without the stick
0: Well, uh- yeah there's a there's a selfie stick graveyard somewhere martin for sure
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh dear well, sorry to jump around martin but um we were talking about the last resort um just before and i think you showed that work in 1986, I believe, in Arles. Is that right? And that's when it really launched you onto the international stage. That's right. Stage. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that time.
2: Well, it's very exciting because you know, photographers never really been accepted here or flourished here in the way that it has in somewhere like, say, France. And uh, I couldn't believe it when I went to Arles in '86. You know, at that point in time, no one from Britain went to the festival at all. And here were there's you know, forty exhibitions, all these photographers. I couldn't believe it. I was completely blown away. Uh, you know, it's quite staggering. So, um, I I don't know if you have the equivalent in Australia, do you have big festivals there? You must have, well, there's the one in Melbourne, We right? I was going to come and photograph there. They got canceled by COVID. So I assume that's still going strong. Well, yeah, for me, it was absolutely amazing. It was a total revelation.
1: We have a few down here, don't we, John? And um, or hmm. let's ask you, you've, you've actually done a project, Martin, on Australia. I think it was called No Worries. And uh, what do you remember of your time? To- you- that's right.
2: That was Western Australia.
1: Yeah. That was, you captured the country so well. And,
2: and that's where I was invited to come to the Fremantle uh, Photo Fest. Photo Frio, I think they called it. Uh, and I photographed in Western Australia for a period of three or four weeks. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had a great time. And then came back uh, for the exhibition opening, you know, a year later. I think you nailed it like he... and and did the book called no worries and there must be dozens of books in australia called no worries but uh <laughs> that's the thing that struck me that people said all the time i think more in wa than maybe where you guys are Oh, it's and everywhere. uh you know that's what you the name
0: you know what they say when when i got here my uncle used to say to me when an australian says no worries that's the time to worry <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay <laughs> There you go. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> did, you, did you like your time out here, Martin? And, you know, you've traveled to many, many countries. Oh, I loved it, yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, you know,
2: it's great to come to, you know, because people there speak English. Mm. And uh, it's always fascinating to see how other countries are operating and what they're like. And, and people are very friendly, you know. You don't get any issues with, uh, you know, people saying you can't photograph here. And, and I did a lot of portraits, and people were very agreeable to that. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great uh, it was a great project
0: so we've got a very famous magnum photographer from australia called trent park
2: do you have much to do with trent (laughs) yeah quite a lot actually uh uh i mean we write to each other regularly and um uh, we're hoping to bring him up here to bristol uh next year in fact which will be the first time he's been in the northern hemisphere for maybe 15 years so yeah we're working on that uh so it's not totally confirmed yet and we will show his monument project here at the gallery it, it, as part of bristol photo festival so yeah that's our aspiration you awesome. heard it here first
0: Fantastic. fabulous that's great that's a bit of a that's a bit of a blockbuster i you to get him on this podcast no i guess
2: he doesn't really like doing these things
0: well we we would love to have him on here martin we would love to have him on here especially with him being australian as well trent you're um, listening come on
2: right. yeah <laughs> have you written and he's not written back or, or what's happened we spoke to his wife, didn't we, John? We
0: spoke to Narelle, and we wanted mm. to have Narelle on, and um, Narelle yeah. has said tentatively yes, but she's rather busy at the minute. So yeah, Narelle, yeah. in her own right, is a fabulous photographer too. So.
2: Sure, but no, it, no, I've seen work, of course.
0: But um, we'd love to have Trent on. and I, So you already have his book monument, because I bought it. Mark, did yours arrive?
1: Uh, it's in the post. I bought it, yep, it's uh, on its way. Have
0: you got it, Martin?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Sure. We sell it in our shop.
0: How fabulous is it?
2: (laughs) It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's really something. He's got this little metal plaque. Other than that, there's no writing on it whatsoever. Uh, it's beautifully produced. The cover is this soft leather. It's really a very beautiful book and also great pictures.
0: Fabulous. And now I live in Sydney, Martin. I love walking around and seeing where, um, Trent took the images. I can't get anything like what Mm -hmm. Trent does, but, um, it's wonderful to be able to see how we captured those particular spots. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah.
1: Well, um, we've spoken about or touched on the foundation before and, and Monument being in your bookshop. What's a one book that all street photographers should have? What photo book, Martin, in your opinion?
2: Uh, oh, God. Well, it's so difficult to know, really. I mean, I guess, um, you know, you could have a day off by uh, Tony Ray Jones yes. or you could have one of the you know, one of the big winograd books, you know, the one that uh, Sikowski wrote because he, he writes brilliantly about him. Uh, and of course the Americans by Robert Frank, you know, let's not mm. forget that. It's one of the genius books. I don't know whether you call that street photography. Do you? I
1: guess, so. I, I guess you do. I mean, street, yeah. back
2: in, those, I mean, in the eighties, street photography wasn't sort of described in the way that it is now. And now you have, you know, people like you, you're a street photography, um, you know, podcast and there's street photography festivals. It's, it's weird how suddenly it's become a thing a genre in its own right mm. I guess launched by that book with uh, Thames and Hudson did with that the Matt Stewart pigeon picture on the front I can't remember what it's called now probably street photography uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know there have been many more since then
1: yes exactly do you what do you you just you know, classify yourself as a photographer Martin not necessarily a street photographer yes yeah. I don't think myself
2: like, as a street photographer no but I have done many pictures on the street and continue to do so, uh, and you know I'm always photographing the crowds coming towards me. Mm. It's very difficult to make one of those pictures really work. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I'm frustrated by and and entertained by the concept of being a street photographer.
0: And this it seems to me, well, in particular, our experience, a Mark, is that people have very rigid thoughts about what is street photography, and this seems to have happened. In the last 20, 30 years, twenty years maybe even mm-hmm. less, and right, what would, you, what would you, in your opinion, you've, you've said, uh, Martin, that you don't really consider you're a street photographer anymore, of a documentary type style photographer. But what would you consider a street photographer? Does it have to have a person in the frame, Martin? In your opinion?
2: Oh, I say so, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could photograph streets. I mean, you know, I don't <laughs> know what really like, the rules that define where street photography ends and it and it, and it, and it, and it, and it sort of starts. I don't, I just don't know. Mm, That's your, right. basically I should be asking you that same question, but you know, you get very good people like, you know, you got, uh, you know, Philip Lockett of Corsier, he did great street photography. I mean, occasionally people invent new ways of looking at it. Uh, I remember seeing the first Eamon Doyle book. Have you, do you know Eamon Doyle down there? I haven't uh, heard photographer. Of
1: him. No, I'll look him no. up.
2: No, I mean, he did a radical street photography book. Uh, which came out maybe 10 12 years ago uh it's, it's it's basically his title is just an exclamation mark check him out it's very good oh, wow. and, and he did a completely different type of street photography bruce gilden's another one you know i'm sure you've heard of him yeah. uh-huh. i mean but you can a bruce gilden you can tell a name doyle when you see them uh, and that's the thing you've got to do you've got to find a different way of looking at it and connecting to it not easy to do because most things have been done
1: no you as you on. well know Absolutely, it's not easy to do. I have heard
2: why don't you just stop being street photographers and go and be wedding photographers? Much, much more interesting.
1: (laughs) No No. not for me.
2: (laughs) I suggest you know you dismantle this podcast, this group. You're going nowhere. (laughs) You're chasing up your own (laughs) arties. Get off the bandwagon of street photography. It's the end. Everyone.
0: You know
2: what we're gonna you know take
0: up that challenge. We're gonna
2: we're gonna prove you. In <laughs> well, the last episode. I'm very <laughs> glad to sign off as the last episode. Bye bye street photography. Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I'm, It's gone forever. <laughs> Martin, there's so much we could ask you. I know your time's... Listen, ready. you said it was half an hour.
2: I mean, we, we're 45 minutes already. Are we?
1: Oh, you're right. So, well, I just, can I just ask you one quick question? Here's a follow-up one. I, I have heard you say that Dougie Wallace is one of the best street photographers, well, photographers playing his trade at the moment. Who who else should we look out for? You mentioned Eamon. Who else's work do you like at the moment?
2: Um, well, I mean, I've got some of these more recent... Uh, uh, there's a girl called Paul Bardasari, we like very much. We're just printing up some of his work for our collection. Eamon Doyle, you know, I've got a whole set of those early Eamon Doyle pictures. There. They're really good. Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I mean, there's certain people in America that are pretty good. You know, sorry, I'm not very good on these names. No, that's all right. I know, you know there's four or five of these people who are, are very good. I mean, it's, you know, as I said before, it's making sure that their distinctive style an approach and connection to the street is amplified in the uh, in the images. I guess you could say Trent's a street photographer, especially with the Monument book. Because it's all done on the street in Sydney yeah. with this very strong light. So yeah, there's no other book like uh, Monument, for example. So Martin, we're just going right. to finish. Oh, I'm a great photographer. sorry.
0: No, we're we're just going to finish up because we know you. You're a bit short of time or whatever. We, but we always ask one question. It's a I different. got all the time in
2: the world here. You got all the time in the world. Oh, we'll ask you some more. I've got the longest podcast. <laughs> Everyone else is half an hour and I'm at 45 minutes. Doesn't feel right.
1: Well, we, it's we, gonna be the well, last one ever since street photography's dead. So we want to go out and the on. So. Well,
0: I tell you what, we're gone out in a high and we've yeah. got Martin Parr's the last one ever. So you know, no one can touch that. So Martin, I just want to yeah. tell, you, you collect a lot of photo books and and You collect a lot of other things as well. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you, yeah, a lot? You're almost like a small library, Martin. I don't
2: want to say. Yeah, a a big library, I'd say. We've got 5,000 books here.
0: That's a lot. But you don't just collect photo books, Martin. When I was doing a bit of research on you, you collect, like, trays and
2: postcards. (laughs) Now, would you say you're a collector or would you say
0: you're a hoarder, Martin? Yeah. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm both, really. It, it's partly a disease. You know, I am a collector. and a hoarder. Yeah, so luckily I've got someone to put it all. And, yeah. uh, you know, I have to sort of, if you like, earn the ability to sort of uh, do this. So, yeah, I think photography is a form of collecting as well. It is. You know, uh, you're in the world. You try and find ways of putting these pictures together to try and make sense of it all and, and really try and articulate your contradictory feelings about the world that we live in which is as I've explained before one of the motivations
0: so Martin how we all know that behind every good man there's a strong woman how does your wife deal with your uh,
2: <laughs> You're yes. you know, <laughs> yeah that's a bit uh, got to be careful there because there's many men who've got a man behind them as well right there are there are so uh, careful great. with your language yes oh yes uh, i
0: know i know so,
2: yeah. yes no no my wife is very tolerant and uh, she's been a great supporter well. and uh, she goes swimming so i wait for her when she's swimming Jeez. and she waits for me when i'm photographing so it's worked out fine
1: as you said earlier, you know, we spoke about how you're, you're obsessive with the medium and, you know, most street photographers are lazy and no good. just want to ask you, I, I remember a baseball player, Lefty Gomez, he once said that he'd rather be lucky than good. So has luck played any part in your career or do you have to be good to achieve success? Oh, yeah, success?
2: absolutely. You know, I was talking about if I would had not gone to Manchester, so that was a bit of luck that I failed my A-levels. But I think luck is earned, mm. you know. So, yeah, if we are out there long enough – seeking to look for you know a picture that works for you uh you know you have to take all the bad ones in order to get the good ones so um you know and that's often a bit of luck where things are happening in front of you that really look uh, great in the picture so yeah luck is earned is what i say
0: and the old adage is you make your own luck don't you martin
2: you could say that yeah yep
1: as well so martin 100 photo books have you actually really published 100 photo books that just sounds like an amazing amount is firstly is that yes no i have
2: I And mean, you go on my site and you can you can see them all in fact wow and uh, you know go on to the power foundation uh, bookshop you know we've got at least 30 books there, all different uh, all signed ready and waiting to be posted to australia
1: <laughs> absolutely is there one you're most proud of martin i know it's hard to you know Split them, but... You
2: yeah. say, well, well, it's still the last resort, you know, because mm. even though it's 40 years old now, it's still the one that I'm best known for. And, and it's, a, you know, even I admit it's a pretty good set of pictures. It is. Yeah. Right time, right place, you know, that's what makes it.
1: I was looking at it today. It's, yeah, fabulous work, just amazing.
0: So, Martin, the last resort, you captured, like, the British seaside towns so beautifully, even... even One seaside town, yeah. 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 Well, one seaside town... You said you've been to Blackpool and you've been to places like that. Are you shocked at the decline of these once magnificent holiday destinations in the UK? Because they're in.
2: Uh, well, terrible, interestingly, terrible- you know, the seaside resorts around the country are usually the most deprived cities, mm. uh, you know, in, in the country. and Blackpool is probably the most deprived city, yep. even though it's got three miles of frontage mm. and, you know, 500 hotels. Uh, and, uh, in, you know, if you just go behind it, you can see, you know, some of the houses are yep. pretty bad. You know, the rents are cheap. Uh, often with these seaside resorts, people who are actually born there can't afford to buy a house. Cause mm. there's all these people that buy second homes in the, in the more beautiful seaside resort. So yeah, there's lots of problems mm. with seaside resorts. And the funny thing is that, uh, you know, that they can be very depressing and yet of course they're very colorful so that sort of inherent contradiction also is something that appeals to me as well
0: you don't think you'd do a follow-up of the decline of seaside resorts around the
2: uk um no because uh, i do it automatically in a sense because i mm. still go around and photograph a different source you know last week i was in blackpool and indeed new brighton with a film crew uh, just checking it out and looking at it and taking some pictures at the same time
1: was there any project you're working on now martin that you can tell us about
2: uh, well there's that potential film which is coming out for in, initially for french television it may move to a limited cinema release as well uh, you know it's yet to be decided but yeah i'm working on that and working at the foundation uh, you know we spend a lot of time here uh, and of course photographing you know I mean, it's just the summer has finished here now uh, and now we have a heatwave ironically and it's in september uh, and uh, you know over the summer i was photographing in many places Uh, So, yes, that continual desire to document the UK carries on. And Ireland. I went to Ireland as well this year uh, to check that out. I haven't been for a while, so I wanted to see what was going on.
1: What was going on?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a country that's changed dramatically. Mm. I lived there for two years (laughs) in the very early 80s, and uh, then it was a very backward country. And now, you know, it's it's very wealthy. It's got a lot of IT um, headquarters. You know, European, you know, American companies use Ireland because the tax rates are there very, very low. And uh, it's, become, it's completely changed around. They got a, a gay uh, T-shirt. that's the prime minister. I mean, uh, given it's a very strong Catholic country, that's quite remarkable. They voted for gay weddings. I mean, 40 years ago, this would be completely off the agenda. So I, I did a book called uh, From the Pope to a Flat White. So I photographed it in 79, <laughs> the Pope's visit. And then I went back to Dublin in 2019 and, and photographed the gentrified, modern, wealthy Dublin. Mm. And if you like the coffee bar and the flat white, uh, which you know what it is, right? Because if it's you a, talk yeah, to someone yeah. in Spain, they know flat white. It's an Australian. I think invention. you guys invented. it.
1: We did, yes, we did.
2: That's one of the things that Australia has brought to the world.
1: Trent Park and flat whites. That's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Irish book that I did and it had an exhibition which toured around Ireland, went to Boston and then also went to um, uh, uh, Paris during Paris Photo last year.
0: So, Martin, what would you – let's talk about a topic that's on everybody's lips at the minute and maybe the challenges around Mm -hmm. it because you've been around long enough to to, um, go through film and then onto digital, which was the end of photography, Mm -hmm. and then Photoshop was the end of photography, and now we've been blessed with AI photography – well, AI images, Mm -hmm. not photography – Where do you see photography going in the future, Martin? And do you think there's an issue or there's a menace with AI-created images?
2: Yeah, no, I'm not as threatened by AI as a lot of photographers are. I mean, Magnum, some of them are really very scared about that. But yeah, I I don't think you can beat the personal vision of a photographer. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't think AI could ever invent some of the best photographs that we've seen uh, because they're so weird and 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 indescribable. Mm -hmm. You know, so. I'm not that bothered by it. I mean, we all said that about Photoshop, you know, like 10 years ago yep. and it hasn't really, I mean, of course you can change anything in a picture now, but, uh, we know, you know, like in Magnum, you've got to declare that if you've done anything to it mm. beyond just sort of the simple crop or, you know, a bit of dodging and burning, you know, done on Photoshop or actually in black and white. Uh, so yeah, I'm not as um, alarmed by that as a lot of people are, but I'm going to a conference on AI at The Royal Philadelphia Society in October. So I'll learn a lot more about it then.
1: Mm. Well, um, Martin, we have run horribly over time. I promise we've just got a couple of quick ones. I just want to ask you if you're starting out now, what advice would you give to a young Martin Parr just getting into photography now?
2: Yeah. Well, i told you, you know, you've got to find the, the subject. You've got to, you know, you've got to be obsessed, basically. Mm. If you're not obsessed, just stop it. Go and work in the bar instead. <laughs> you can enjoy looking at photography. You can buy some books. Uh, but yeah. You get obsessed or, or bail out.
0: Good advice. So, Martin, you're, you've created a number of, well, over 100 books, and I'm aware that you've had some health issues over the last year. Is that correct? Is it, Are you on oh, the menu? Oh, yeah, team? no, I've
2: got, I've got something called uh, – I've got myeloma. I'm in remission, so I've got myeloma. You can see I look pretty normal. Yeah. It means when I go around and photograph, I have a rollator that's a thingy to the push, and I can sit down on that because I can't stand for more than, say, 10 minutes without getting a backache. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a problem, but it hasn't stopped me working. And in fact, if anything, I'm working harder now than ever before, because, uh, you know, the end is in sight and I, I want to get more pictures in the, um, in the archive Sorry. before I pop my clogs.
0: Unfortunately, as we get older, we realize that time does rapidly advance a lot quicker yes, than we would like. Yes, <laughs>
2: it keeps Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. So, uh, I Martin, you, you me mentioned
0: that. that you mentioned that you were put in one one of your chats that you were possibly going to be um, going around in a wheelchair or golfer. Are you going to release a book that's called um, "Images from a Golfer: A Below Par <laughs> Perspective"?
2: Uh, no, I have. Yes, I mean I'm not going to do that, but I do have a um, you know an electric trolley thing. that I also go around on. Normally, it's better for me just to push it manually, and yeah. then it doesn't run out of battery. that's the idea anyway
1: well martin you've set up the foundation um do you ever think about your legacy so how do you want your photographs to be remembered in 50 years time
2: uh well i guess just the fact that they're there you know it's uh it's my time in the uk that i'm showing and um that's it i haven't really thought more than that
0: and with time running out martin what's the one thing that you really want to Not knock it. Well, he Martin's mentioned it numerous times that he's trying to pump out as much work as he can before before he kick. Yep. What What is the most important project that you're working on that you know, if you only had one? Well, as I say,
2: the furtherance of the UK uh archive. You know, I I hadn't got pictures from the Lake District, which is probably the number one national park. It is. So I went there this year and photographed in there. So yeah, things like that. You know, I'm catching up with areas that I haven't been to and events that I haven't been to before. So yeah, that's the, that's the immediate plan.
0: Wonderful. So Martin, we've got one final question for you. Thanks very much for joining us. And we ask it to every hey. guest that we have on. If you could go anywhere in the mm-hmm. world to photograph, where would you go and why?
2: Uh, I'd like, I still want to go to the Galapagos Islands and watch the tourism there. So I I, I might put myself on those cruises that go around with 50 people on, and then I can photograph when they get out and uh, go onto the beaches. So yeah, that's something I'd like to do. Fantastic. Should we we kick out a campaign? Started by your podcast to try and raise the money for that. We okay. do try our best. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, thank you so
1: much for your time. We had an absolute ball talking to you. We could talk to you for hours, but okay. really appreciate you taking the time to chat to two blokes in Australia. And, uh, no problem. Thank you
0: very much. Thanks very much, Martin. You okay, too. see you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Martin. Bye. Happy shooting.